Welcome to today's energy show. It's my pleasure to introduce Ken Gillingham, a professor of economics at Yale University. Ken's been doing research for uh, over 10 years on the factors that motivate people to install rooftop solar. And, you know, just in terms of uh, my background with Ken, he was really helpful about seven or eight years ago when we were working on the California Solar Initiative Program. And there was a lot of number crunching and spreadsheets and economic justification as to why the, the California CSI program would really be good for California. And I have to say that the, the work that Ken did back in 2005 and 2006 was really the numerical justification for what helped get that passed. So that, that was great. And, and the reason why I've, I've reconnected with Ken, because he used to be at Stanford and, and now he's at uh, Yale, is he just published a really fascinating research paper about what motivates people to go solar. And the technical name of the paper is Spatial Patterns of Solar Photovoltaic System Adoption, the Influence of Neighbors, and the Built Environment. So that's kind of a cool name for a paper, but I'm going to get uh, Ken started. Welcome to the show, Ken. Thank you very much, Barry. It's a pleasure to be speaking with you. Good, good. So, so just tell us, what does the title of your research paper mean? So we're, we're interested in understanding uh, who adopts solar, where they adopt solar, and why they adopt solar. We're interested in looking at the influence of, of neighbors, and by built environment, we mean characteristics of the landscape. So whether the housing, there's high housing density, whether they're owner-occupied homes, the incomes of the area, and we want to understand whether there are very interesting patterns worth seeing about where solar is adopted. The reason why it's so fascinating to me, just kind of from a high level, is I've always been in the business of selling solar to homeowners and, and trying to do the, the marketing and the justification and finding customers. And what you kind of explained to me 10 years ago is this thing called the diffusion concept. And it's the way in which new innovations diffuse out into a, a broader population. Could you explain what that means to solar in a little bit more detail? Yes, absolutely. So... Diffusion of any new technology is the process by which you go from those early adopters, those very first people who want to adopt, to the mainstream, and then eventually you get to the laggards. So you could almost imagine it's often an S-shaped curve where you start at that really early stage, and solar has been moving up that, that very S-shaped curve. Diffusion is really about uh, diffusing through a network of people, in a sense, you could think about it, starting with those early adopters first and moving on to, to more and more people. So it's a, a very useful concept that's used for a wide variety of technologies, and solar is, is a perfect example of how it works. Now, now does, does, do these uh, innovations, specifically solar, do they diffuse at the same rate everywhere? Because I kind of look at lots of solar going on here in Silicon Valley, and Connecticut's got a lot, but what about the rest of the country? How do you handle different different um, populations and different diffusion rates? Yeah, there are a wide variety of different factors that influence how quickly diffusion happens, uh, both within states, including California and Connecticut and, and across states. Um, the overall economics of the solar prospect is different in different states, depending on how much sun they get and the electricity rates and a variety of other concepts such as policies in those states. Those greatly influence the uh, prominence of both California and Connecticut as, as actually good states to have lots of solar adoptions, and that's exactly what we see. But even within states, there are very interesting patterns. What are some of the key findings of your research? So we were interested in, in understanding, well, we went in with a hypothesis, and we were interested in understanding whether 
you would expect to see lots of solar at just the wealthiest areas in Connecticut. Connecticut has some very wealthy areas and some poorer areas. And whether you'd expect to see it in entirely politically liberal-leaning areas or whether it's more widely dispersed, whether you'd expect it to see in very, very populated areas, because that's how diffusion usually occurs. And then when you look at the actual factors among those three I mentioned, are they dominated by the effective neighbors? And so what we really see is that it's not just the wealthiest areas, it's not just the most liberal-leaning areas, that we see these centers, at the very interesting clustered centers of solar, where a few people start to adopt, and then more and more people around them start to adopt. And they're very, very clear when you look at the maps that it's almost contagion. It's almost as if solar is contagious. By word of mouth and by people seeing solar on other people's roofs, it changes people's mindset about solar and makes them more excited to install solar. It's pretty clear. Wow. That's, so what are, what are some of the specific metrics? I mean, you talked about, how do you measure that? Is it uh, if there's one system within a half-mile radius or one-mile radius, how, how does that change? Sure. So what we did was we had worked with a, we have a project with the Connecticut state governments. This is all in Connecticut here. And we had the, we were able to geocode where all the systems in Connecticut were. And we could look to see the timing of the systems. So we could see if for every system that is adopted, we can make a radius around it and see how many other systems are in that radius. And so we can look at, say, a half-mile radius, or you could look at a mile radius or a two-mile radius of that system, and that we find that the probability that we're going to get, you're going to get a new system greatly increases when you have more systems around it. Even after controlling for a whole variety of other factors, population density, controlling for preferences, when you ask for a specific metric, one way to look at it is, is this. If you have one more installation than a half mile of this installation that you're curious is going to happen within six months prior, so if you add one more installation that happens within six months of your house, then you would have another installation occurring in that half year is another is one way to look at it just under one one installation in a half year so in a sense what we're saying is that if there are more installations around yours it really incre- greatly increases the likelihood that you're going to have a no- new installation and yes. it also often, often dissipates over space so the further out you go the less important these neighbor effects are because you don't talk to the neighbors as much and don't see their houses as much yeah, that's interesting. You you're, you're, you mentioned it's kind of like a, a contagion. It's like the solar Ebola. If, yeah. if it's happening in one place, it's going to happen more. And, and the farther away you get, you don't get that effect. Now, what about things like housing density and and renter occupied buildings? Because there's there's lots of population there. Did did that have much of an effect, or was that kind of a contrary effect? Yeah, it was. It was interesting. We went in expecting solar to be similar to many other technologies where. Areas with very high population is where you'd expect there to be the most solar to start. And that's not quite what we found. In fact, we noticed that some of the most densely populated areas, especially ones with many renter-occupied buildings, have lower levels of solar. And areas that are a little less densely populated have much more solar, in part because when homes are owner-occupied, 
the solar contractors, solar firms have, have someone to talk to. There's a single decision maker who makes this decision. And this is, pretty, this is a, a question that's well known. How do you get renter-occupied buildings to install solar? You have to be much more clever about it, working with the landlord and devising contracts that make sense. And uh, that is just at its very forefront in Connecticut. So we see areas that are very, very highly populated with lower levels of solar, and then more re- even remote areas and and areas in the suburbs, if you will, with higher levels of s- solar. Yeah, my, my experience is it's really, really, really hard to um, get solar in, in in areas where it's not owner occupied. Um, the, the economics just aren't there, and you're kind of better off. Uh, going after greener pastures. It, it's interesting in, in your study, you talked about you know, the Greenwich area, like the very wealthy area. There wasn't a lot of solar. I mean, those people could, could afford it. W- what are some of the reasons why the very wealthy areas didn't, didn't adopt solar? That's, that's a good question. Part of it may be that, that they have very particularly strong views about their, uh, what, look, how it looks on their house. But actually, I think, and that, that's what is most commonly viewed, is they, didn't, they don't like the look of solar on their roof. But I don't think that's actually the dominant reason. I actually think that, in some cases, people in Greenwich may not speak to their neighbors quite as much as people in smaller and potentially less wealthy communities. Um, many people in Greenwich work in New York City, uh, so their social network might revolve around people they talk to in New York City. And so the, the neighborhood bonds may be actually slightly less strong in a place like Greenwich, that's very, very, well, extremely wealthy, I would say, than some other areas. But I don't think that that's a, a necessary conclusion that has to be the case in the future. You could imagine very, very wealthy areas and, and much less wealthy areas that have a lot more solar. Yeah, well, you know, I started doing installations in Connecticut in 2004 and 2005. We were doing a lot there, and I don't think I ever sold anything in Greenwich. And the conclusion I came to was too many trees, and too many slate roofs, um, and and mm-hmm. people like weren't motivated at all about the economics. But other areas, of Connecticut, like particularly along ninety five, where you know some communities uh, even closer to the shore, where it was uh, fewer trees and more sun, that that was really kind of going crazy. How did the Connecticut rebate or the Connecticut incentive program affect the diffusion? So it's very clear that the rebates and incentives greatly increased the diffusion. I have other work that actually quantifies that, and I don't in this paper, but it's very clear that uh, making the economic proposition of a solar installation a solid one is critical. Many people make decisions in Connecticut based on the environmental attributes, but everyone is also mentioning when you survey them, because we've done quite a few surveys, that the fact that it's a good value proposition is important to them. And so these Connecticut incentives have played a key role. Now, as the price of solar has been dropping, the incentives have also been dropping, just like in California. So there's a similar effect in that sense. And and what about things like local permitting fees? Do, do they vary a lot in Connecticut and throughout the Connecticut incentive program area? They do. They do. Some areas, such as New Haven, it's much harder to get a permit than in other areas that have expedited their permitting processes. Now, I know that's something in California that's happened too. Jerry Brown, I recall, has signed a, a bill to help foster expedited permitting processes. And that, that's just, this, it plays a real role. One of the things in Connecticut that's occurred is they have a really interesting program that's called the Sun, part of the Sunshot Initiative from the Department of Energy that's designed to help 
states such as Connecticut and, and Massachusetts to find the permitting template. So just out of curiosity, how do your findings in, and, and this is just like personal curiosity, but, but I'm sure it's going to be of interest to anybody else who's doing residential installations around the country. How did your findings in Connecticut apply to other solar markets? And I'm just thinking selfishly about San Jose. What can, what can I as an installer take away from your research to use in my marketing efforts? Well, I think there, there are two points here. One is that I think the, the results from Connecticut do apply in California. And part of that, I know, is because I have another paper that uses California data. And that one is looking mostly at the zip code level and the street level, but the results are, are very much consistent with my results in Connecticut. So I believe that there are similar important neighbor effects going on in Connecticut as well as California. And I think that, that there's no question that these are occurring. Now, how, how can installers take advantage of these? Well, some of the things they're doing already, they're often you'll see installers after they've done installation put up lawn signs. Many installers have Facebook apps. The lawn signs are to increase the visibility so that when the neighbors drive by, they can see that this house has its solar panels. The next time they talk to their neighbor, they can ask them about it, find out what's, whether it was a, a good deal for them, whether they were happy about this, and potentially decide to make a similar decision. There are network-type Facebook apps where neighbors can... Neighbors or, or anyone in, in, a, in your social network can discuss, you know, whether solar is a great idea and show all their neighbors that they've done this. One thing that's often done is getting permission to share neighbors' names as references so that you can tell your neighbor, you can, uh, if you're a firm, you can tell that your neighbor down the street has already installed and go ask them, is this a good, was it a good deal for you? Now, there's another piece, too, is that there are a variety of programs now that are growing quickly trying to make solar more of a community thing. They're call, often called solarized programs, and Connecticut has them, Massachusetts has them, North Carolina has them, started in Oregon. So they're all over the place. My understanding is that there's starting to be some of these programs in California as well. But these programs often are designed to, to leverage these neighbor and, and peer effects because they will have people who volunteer to be ambassadors and tell all their neighbors and all their friends about solar and these, they'll have a, a town chosen or several town chosen installers, so just verify that they're good installers who do a good job. And the results that you see from these solarized campaigns can often be quite dramatic. Just by having a, a limited-length campaign with a few installers and, and uh, providing people information about how their neighbors have installed, it seems to really make a difference, and, and, and many towns turn, really turn the needle. Yeah, th th those are all things that, that, that we've seen work and, you know, we do the lawn signs and we try and encourage our customers to let their friends know. And we used to do wine and cheese parties, but it, but it kind of worked out that we, we weren't able to, to get enough customers based on the effort. C kind of an interesting um, specific question is if Installer X does an installation in a neighborhood, does it help all the other installers? In other words, can installer Y go to market that in that area just because they see that installer X did an installation? I, I, I'm wondering if it matters who did the installation as far as getting more local customers. It does spill over some to other installers, is, is what we've found. Now, I can, I'm stating results here, not from the paper in Connecticut, but actually the paper from California, that to some degree installer-specific, but it also seems to help other installers. So it helps the individual installer the most, but also helps other installers. 
So you're doing a, a benefit to all other installers every time you do an installation. Yeah, that's interesting. So, so uh, for all you installers listening in, if if you see uh, your big competitor do an installation, I, I guess it means don't be shy to find a way to market to all the neighbors because those neighbors may be um, interested. They, they may not they may not talk to that particular house that got solar, but they see the solar panels on the roof, and um, that that diffusion effect is going to kind of spill over. That that's kind of interesting. How did you get into doing solar research originally? Tell, tell me a little bit about your background and what got you interested in this. Right. Well, I was doing my Ph.D. at Stanford University several years back and before I came to Yale. And I was very interested in, in renewable energy technologies and renewable energy policy in general. And then I was put in touch with a, with a Barry Cinnamon of Akina Solar, in fact, who I have the good fortune to, to be speaking to, with today. And did this project that he had mentioned at the very beginning about the California Solar Initiative. And that actually is what brought me into solar research at the very beginning. I found that there were a variety of really fascinating issues in this growing market that's just expanded dramatically and the prices have been dropping. And I expect continued growth of this market as well. So I I found that this was a, a place in which there was an incredible amount of very, very, very interesting research to be done. And also, it's an exciting time to be part of the solar market and uh, trying and working to understand the solar market. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it is it's a, a good time. And, and you know, it's, it's the whole solar coaster thing where prices go up and then it slows down and prices go down and then it takes off. But, yeah, you just look at the, the available market for rooftop solar in the U.S. and we've just barely scratched the surface. And you got entire areas of the country that haven't even started to put in solar. And, you know, they will. So it's an exciting time, and it was you know great, great working with you and all, all your efforts. And I remembered that monster spreadsheet that you were crunching, and and uh, you you and your team did a great job on that. And and we took it right to the governor's office, and the 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 California Secretary of Energy said this is kind of the justification we're going to use, and it really did kind of make good sense. Let's let's kind of take a step back and then look forward. What are some of the other tips or suggestions that you have based on your research or based on anecdotal information you have for solar installers that'll, that'll kind of make their, their life easier and reduce their customer acquisition costs? Well, I think uh, one major tip is to really pay close attention to when municipalities are switching as more municipalities switch to more expedited permitting processes, pay close attention. There will be new markets that suddenly will open. I mean, the market was already open, but your ability to to move into new areas is going to be expanding greatly as there are more and more of these expedited permitting processes. And I feel that that's actually an exciting development that should help this, help increase the speed. And the other the other thing is that there are a variety wide variety of markets. Once you get started, you might be surprised with some of, some of the markets in Connecticut that we saw that turned out to be larger markets than others were not ones we would have expected. They were not the wealthiest market, and they you know were pretty neutral politically or 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 even slightly Republican leaning at times. And uh, you can market differently depending on which market you're going to. So there's definitely a degree of uh, catering your message to the market. But there's a real market out there for a variety of different types of customers because solar is becoming a good value proposition. 
So, so I'm, I'm kind of curious about how things are going in, in Connecticut. What's what's the simple payback for a residential system right now in Connecticut, including the Connecticut incentives? Well, it certainly depends, but um, I, in general, we're talking around six to seven years. Yeah, that that's once once you're into that range, that's kind of the sweet spot, and then and then you know things really begin to take off. Have you seen any influence of the the utilities as far as the the rate structures? Obviously, the rate structures are going to matter, but um, the the paperwork that's imposed by the utilities has that negatively or positively affected some adoption? So in in Connecticut, I would say that the utilities are not speeding things up, but they're not slowing things down. I'm not fully aware of exactly what paperwork is required in Connecticut, but I do know this, that Connecticut has a renewable portfolio standard, and the distributed generation solar, our residential solar, counts towards this renewable portfolio standard. And so the Connecticut utilities have some incentive to allow for installations, and they have not caused issues that may have occurred in other places, which I find to be quite interesting. Yeah, it, it, Connecticut was a, a a good state for us to work in back then. The, the Connecticut Clean Research Program, um, they were very very supportive. the The challenge we had ten years ago, eight years ago, was that they would have money and then they would run out, and then I would have to close an office, and then they had money and we opened up an office. So that kind of start and stop was really really tough. And and that's one of the things that's really benefiting us here in California is there's no rebate program. And the paybacks are still six or seven years, and the same thing happened in Hawaii. And, and then you really, really get some fast market growth. So I think the biggest factor that's going to be good for Connecticut is um, high electric prices. And then you have both Republican and Democratic-leaning people saying, hey, this is just good for me. This is just good for economics. And you know, the, the Democrats are going to say it's great for the environment. The Republicans are going to say, hey, it's great for the, the economy. And, and then it really takes off. And we saw that happen in, in California in a very big way throughout throughout the state. So so w- what's next for you? Got any other projects coming up? I have quite a few projects actually coming up relating to solar, in fact. Projects relating to the learning process of solar, which we have talked about before. So what's leading these costs to decline as we've seen a cost decline, uh, which will help us understand whether we should expect them to flatten out or continue to decline. And very much uh, following up on this type of research on the factors that influence solar adoption, focusing on these solarized campaigns that I mentioned before, these community-based marketing programs, which are really expanding greatly in in Connecticut and have been, uh, from our preliminary results, extremely successful in increasing the number of installations. And so we're doing quite a few projects on, on both understanding why they work, how well they work, and how can we make them work better. Yeah, they, I, how can we make them work more efficiently? Yeah, they 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 jump started a lot of communities here in California, and they, you know they jump started them, and now those communities are, are up and running. Um, how can people get more information about the research that you're doing? Well, they're welcome to email me at any point, and I also have a website. It's www.yale.edu uh, backslash my last name Gillingham G I L L I N G H A M, and up there I have quite a few of my papers posted. Um, but there are always others that are, are coming up over time and others that I'm certainly willing to share. All right. Well, well, that, that's, that's terrific. And that's, a, that's all the time we've got on this week's Energy Show. Thanks, Ken, and thanks to all of our listeners for joining us. If you missed any of the show, you can always go to our website at cinnamonsolar.com and listen to the podcasts. 